This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. Developed as athletic gear for firefighters, Athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your Globe turnout gear. Get the full story at msa.com slash globe. Hello and welcome to Today on Firehouse. Uh, we're here with uh, Chief Robert Moran and uh, Lieutenant John Lewis from the Passaic Fire Department. John retired a few years ago. We're excited to have the two guys. They're the Jersey guys. If you've uh, if you've seen them on the road or on their Facebook page. And, and before we get to talking with uh, with Rob and John, I just want to thank uh, the sponsors, uh, which is MSA and Globe, for continuing to support the podcast. We appreciate their ongoing commitment to firefighter training and education. So thank you to MSA and Globe. And just a reminder that you can find us on all of the streaming applications for podcasts, including uh, iTunes and also uh, Google Podcasts. So uh, you can find all the archive podcasts there. Um, so again, uh, Rob Moran, uh, John Lewis, the Jersey guys, a great group of instructors um, that we've worked with uh, at Firehouse for over 20 years at this point. Um, guys, if, if you could just uh, you know come on and introduce yourselves and and and. Tell uh, tell folks who you guys are and what you guys are doing. Hello, Chief. You outrank me. Oh, hey, thanks, John. So yeah, so uh, I'm Bob Moran. Uh, right now, I'm Chief of the Brewster, Massachusetts Fire Department. Uh, we're a combination department uh, on Cape Cod. It's a beautiful location. We have do about three thousand runs a year. Seventy percent of that are EMS. I'll get a little bit more into that later on. I retired in 2010 as the Fire Chief uh, in Englewood, New Jersey. Northern Bergen County across from Manhattan. Um, did 26 years there and uh, served as the chief of the department there for 12 years. So I have a great career. And um, John and I have been teaching for probably over 30 years together. Uh, we, we grew up in that Northern Bergen County area as young firefighters and, and met each other and things have you know really moved since then. And we're extremely, pleased to be here tonight and um, have the opportunity to talk about some of the things that we'll be doing at Firehouse Expo and some experiences that we've had. And uh, so I'll let John John uh, move on and uh, introduce himself. Hello, everybody. I'm John Lewis. As Pete said, I retired from the uh, city of Passaic, New Jersey Fire Department uh, a few years ago. And up until last year, uh, 2020, 2020. Uh, I was an instructor at the Burton County Fire Academy. I did 25 years in the fire academy, 25 years in the fire service, uh, and well, retired out of the sick. So uh, I joined the fire department many years ago, like Rob. We both started as juniors, and fire service has been very good to us. Uh, and I like to give back to the fire service. Even though I'm a little retired, I take what I've learned and take what I've I read. I, I stay in the books. I stay on top of what's going on in the fire service and try to share that knowledge and uh, some experiences. Uh, as far as uh, Pete, thank you for the invitation tonight. Uh, it's great to talk to Pete Matthews. We've known Pete since he was an intern with Harvey Eisner at the magazine uh, when he first started breaking into the scene and learning about the magazine and the conference. And it's great to see Pete move up the ladder, literally move up the ladder to the position he's in now. And we're here to support him 
and the magazine and carry on the legacy that Harvey Eisner had left behind. Thanks, John. Yeah, I, I don't think we can uh, we, we can do anything at this point without mentioning Harvey, right? I mean, Harvey brought so many people together over the years uh, between the magazine and the shows and, and just Harvey being Harvey in, in, in his every single day of, uh, of the way he lived his life. It, it was about uh, making sure he was putting the pieces of the puzzle together for people as they they needed to find answers and solutions for what was going on and, and bring things to the forefront. So, so thank you for bringing that up. And yeah, we're, we're just shy of uh, 21 years uh, ago that we met each other in, in Baltimore for Expo. And uh, it, it's amazing to think of everything that every, everybody has done over the years, um, you know, since I first, first met you guys and, you know, all the opportunities we've had to, to work together and stuff I could learn from you guys over the years. So, so thank you for that. Um, I'll be forever indebted to you guys. And, um, looking forward to, you know, you guys sharing some of your wisdom tonight. We can't be in person this year at this point for a lot of, uh, events and, you know, certainly last year, um, you know, was, was another struggle to get things done, but moving forward, uh, this is just one opportunity for us to, to be able to share some, some information. So, you know, let, let's kind of dig into the podcast and, and let's talk about, um, kind of what's going on. You know, you, you guys, again, you, you, you've talked together for a long time. You, you, you know, you both at one point were right in the same vicinity in Jersey, um, and then, you know, Rob, you've moved to Massachusetts and certainly a, a different type of community. Um, so, so Rob, we'll go to you first and just, you know, what are some of the differences um, in the fire service, right? Because the, the goal is the same, you know, saving lives, putting on fire, you know, transporting people to the hospital. But uh, one thing I've noticed, um, every place I've lived and, and a lot of my conversations over the years, you can have four departments in a row, right? If, if you're on Route one, you go down route one, or I guess I'll say route nine for the purposes of Jersey. As you go down route nine, every department is different, a different service delivery method or diff different tactics. So, you know, so what have you seen, you know, in your transition from, from Jersey to, to Massachusetts? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, Pete. Um, I was, was going to kind of lead off also with the fact that, uh, you know, John and I have a lot of you know, 42 years of experience, the two of us, 84 years um, in the fire service. But one of the one of the things that when we teach and when we talk to people, we 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 have experience across all different types of departments. So, you know, we were volunteers at 17 years old growing up in our hometowns. Um, we became career firefighters and, uh, you know, in full career fire departments, uh, you know, here in, in Brewster, when I moved here, I moved into a combination type fire department uh, in 2010 when I when I got here that at the time had 13 career firefighters full time and 27 call firefighters. So, you know, for me, not only was that uh, combination type fire department a little bit of a of an issue for me because I had never um, had to manage one before. Uh, but some of the bigger differences for me was in Brewster, we, you know, we service, we are an ALS level uh, medical, emergency medical service uh, in, in Englewood. Right before I left, we had taken over the, um, the volunteer ambulance corps, a very busy volunteer ambulance corps that was losing money in the city. And right before uh, I left, about 2008, uh, at the time, Lieutenant Jeff Kaplan, I assigned him. Um, the city allowed us to take over the ambulance corps uh, there. And um, right now, Jeff's the captain in Anglewood. I just want to give him a little shout out. But So the fire department, 
the ambulance there, but in New Jersey, uh, EMS uh, is at the BLS level for part of the hospitals transport. So when I when I came here to to Massachusetts, you know, now we're offering ALS level paramedic services to our community, and uh, you know, we we don't go to a lot of fires. Seventy percent of the three thousand calls that we do a year are EMS related. Um, so you know, some of the issues that that I had when I got here was that combination type fire department. So as I said, 10 years ago, you know, we had the 13 and 27 as far as numbers go. Today, um, we have, well, we just hired two more full-time to give us 23 full-time and I only have four call firefighters left. So in the 10 years, there's been a huge change in our staffing model. Uh, and that's related to the fact that, you know, call firefighters or volunteer firefighters across the entire country. Um, you know, they're going away. And I hate to say that because John and I both remember where we started, but um, you know, it's difficult to recruit people. So, you know, staffing is an issue here. Um, always having the ability to, to provide services to the public. Um, you mentioned the fact that, that in New Jersey, all of the, or many of the departments are different. And that's the case in New Jersey, but I was very surprised when I came here to Massachusetts in Barnstable County, where we are, we have 19 fire departments and we have a very, very um, dynamic and aggressive regional mutual aid uh, system that provides both automatic aid and mutual aid. You know, in New Jersey, there was no such thing as automatic aid, even though there were many departments that probably could have used that, you know, on a report of a fire where you're getting additional companies uh, here. Here, that's that's common. That's an everyday occurrence, you know. Um, okay. But but that switch to uh, Massachusetts, you know, uh, was um, and the combination type fire department. I will say I've managed all three. I was a volunteer chief in Leonia, the career full time career in Englewood, and then up here with the combination. And the combination type fire department was the most difficult to manage because of those two diverse workforces. You know, trying to get them to play nice in the sandbox. That's kind of like been the, the issues that we've been dealing with, you know, in the last 10 years and um, very lucky to be on top of all those problems and, you know, still continue to move forward every day. That's great. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting, Neil, to wait and, and, and the conversation uh, about, uh, um, you know, as the department structures are changing and the staffing models change, uh, auto aid is just really an expansion, right? If, if, if Due to the fact that departments are struggling to get volunteers or, or retain them, um, auto aid is just like an extension of that first alarm yeah. assignment or second alarm assignment, whatever it is. Um, and, and we've seen at a couple of places I've, I've lived where um, they've gone from you know part-time duty crews to uh, full-time, but still limited staffing enough to to get two rigs out the door. The reality was when they had 40 members uh, in a lot of places, they had 40 members and only still four or five are showing up. So that model changes, the response is still the same, but you do rely on your partners and they rely on, you know, on you back and forth. So um, interesting to see there. And then when you were in Englewood, that was a career department and then you, you ended up working with a lot of volunteer departments. Is that correct? Yeah. So, you know, in Bergen County, where we came from, there's 69, John writes 69 communities, I believe. Yeah, 70, 70 municipalities. Yeah. 70 municipalities. And there were, 69 know, five, fire points. Yeah, 69 there. 
but but five career fire departments. You know, um, I, I was lucky enough to be involved there with the Bergen County Chiefs Association. I served as the president for five years, and that was probably um, some of the best times that I had when I was there because um, I would, you know, we had a lot of input. Both John and I were in the association, and uh, we had a lot of input as to what went on in the county. But I will say. Uh, nobody had the same, you know, radio frequencies. Nobody had mm -hmm. the same delayed plan. It, it was just, you know, like John said, 70 municipalities that, you know, a lot of times were doing things on their own. Um, and when I came here, it was absolutely not that way. So it was, it was a breath of fresh air, to tell you the truth, you know, um, coming here uh, from an outside perspective. And, and th luckily for me, the fire chiefs in the area accepted me. You know, it's kind of sometimes difficult to be that outside guy coming into an area. Everybody's Googling your name and finding out what you do. And then when you get here, um, you know, you got to walk uh, lightly before you, you know, start yeah. to make major changes. And, and that's kind of what we did, you know, so. That's cool. That, that's a great, uh, a great journey. Um, glad, glad, glad you'd be able to share that with us. And, and so, John, uh, a little bit of a different area, right? I think the, the density of Passaic um, is something like 200,000 people per square mile. Some, <laughs> sure some crazy like number it. like that. No, yeah. it seemed like it. Uh, I think the last the last count, I think it was 70,000 something in a three square mile city with one square mile of parkland. So, uh, try and pass. Last week, what so, it was so like working in the city of Passaic. I, I tell well, them it was a great place to be a fireman. If you wanted to go to work and be a fireman, the work was there, the workload was there, uh, the guys were great, you know, the department was great. It was just, uh, I have a few people that are on the department now that tested because when they asked me that question, that's what I told them. And one of them mm -hmm. actually used that in his interview. You know, why do you want to come to the Pacific Fire Department? And he told the chief during his interview, he said, because I understand this is a great place to be a fireman. You know, so, you know, it's a tribute to the department and the history of the department. They were, uh, one of the first motorized departments in, in the state of New Jersey, fully motorized. Um, really? It had a lot of history really? in the city. Yeah, the city dates back to the 1800s. Um, and there's a lot of great things, good stories. There was a, the Great Labor Day fire of 85. Uh, 20 acres of the city burned down. It was all an industrial area. Started as an outside dumpster fire. Uh, and extended into wow. some mill buildings and, and burned and burned and burned. Unfortunately, at that time, I was in a different department. You know, like uh, I was saying before, I started as a junior back in the late 70s, but in 85, I got hired in a small town of Cliffside Park, right above the cliffs overlooking Manhattan on the Hudson River. Uh, again, that was a small department. We were only 12 to 15 guys. Uh, when I got hired and when I left, when we left, uh, there was only 24 of us. Uh, unfortunate events, the city decided to disband the career department and we got laid off. That's how I got picked up in the... Uh, City of Passaic through the state layoff list, but it was a tribute going to a new to a new fire department, which I knew was a busy fire department to end my career in. Uh, training there was great. Training officer really opened our eyes to a different world. You know, we were in a, a tight little community, and we had our share of work, and we had a great mutual aid program. That's how Rob and I got to know each other. Uh, there's a couple okay. of towns in our mutual aid that often had large enough fires there all eight to nine towns of our mutual aid group were there. Rob and I always wound up working together somehow or another. Well, you know, the friendship started. 
then going to classes together and then saying, hey, we should do this or we should do that. And we started teaching and putting articles together. But uh, yeah, the city of Passaic was a good place to work. I learned a lot there about urban life, urban firefighting. And uh, like I said, it was a great place to be a fireman. I, I didn't go with the education track that Rob did. I didn't get all my degrees. I like to, you know, uh, I remember Ray McCormick had written an article about the ghetto fire officer, you know, go in there and get your education on the street. And that's where I like to learn a lot from the guys on the street. And so, I mean, Passaic, I mean, you you were running, I mean, how, how many fires? I mean, I, 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 you know, recall from when I lived in New York and Long Island, you know, seeing it on, on the pager, it seemed like Passaic was burning literally every night, if not a few times a day sometimes. And what were the issues that you guys were facing? That was interesting because we also ran into the city of Patterson, which is uh, another larger, it's literally twice the size of the city of Passaic. Passaic was three and a half square miles. Patterson is seven square miles. Passaic was four engines and two trucks. You know, Patterson was seven engines, three trucks, and, and a rescue. And they, they definitely get their share of work. And actually, they're, they're pretty much featured on a, uh, a TV show on uh, one of the cable networks now because they get that much work. But we would go there often to their fires. They come to ours all the time. You know, they come with more people on one, one truck than we had on two. And it was great to have them come because they were workhorses. You know, we knew yeah. we were coming out, changing our bottles out, and there they were. They were just pulling in the street. You know, it was a matter of timing that worked out well. We were a tight urban environment. Uh, we did have a lot of mill buildings. We had a lot of old ordinary structures. Main Avenue was loaded with old ordinary buildings that date back revolutionary time. You know, when you look at the uh, crown building up on the top of the buildings, and you see it says on there, you know, GAR, Grand Army of the Republic, still emblazoned on the top of the building. You know, from from pre-Civil War days, was, mm -hmm. you knew you were going into some old buildings. And once a fire got into one of those buildings, you know, it would definitely take take charge of the building. Uh, again, there's a lot of good video out there on YouTube of some of our fires. And they continue to still be a busy department. But they train a lot because yeah. they need to train on the stuff that they're doing, the buildings they're going to. Well, and that's, that's, that's a good transition. So, you know, the training is what you guys are doing, and that, and that's you know what we're going to talk here a little bit. You're going to be speaking at Fire Arts Expo later this year, Columbus. So, you know what what are your philosophies as you guys teach? You know, under the guise of the Jersey guys, uh, what what are your training philosophies? The importance of it. What what are the folks hitting that that need to be done, and where are some areas where uh, where you've seen a need for improvement uh, or expanded training? Well, I mean, it's funny you say that because right now the fire service is in in the world a whirlwind with this with this virus, and I don't want to get political. And I don't want to talk about uh, the virus and to much extent, but I did a fire department drill. Actually, the department that I joined, my hometown fire department, uh, Maywood, I hosted presented a class on gas natural gas emergencies to them the other night, and you know they're not allowed to go to their firehouse unless there's a fire. So you lose out on that training. You lose out on that, that time with each other, just going over the equipment, seeing the equipment, keeping it fresh. And right now, that's one of the biggest things facing the fire service. Again, every fire department has got a different approach to how they're addressing the virus in their firehouses and their stations and their personnel. But I think some departments are, you know, you might lose too much by not having the members 
in contact and staying on top of the game. It was a real good class. I mean, I had 58 people on the, on a Zoom class on Monday night. That That's great that that many people signed up because they're hungry. They're hungry for training. They're hungry for something. They're hungry for that fire service, you know, that just being together that we get. You know, and that's one of the things Rob and I like about teaching is getting out there and seeing people. We know that some people come to our classes every year. Uh, we go to the conferences. We look forward to seeing certain people there. Look forward to seeing all our students, you know, but it's just nice to catch up with the brotherhood and, you know, what's going on in your department, what's going on in my department, and sharing things like that. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, just uh, like you I follow up with what John was saying, you know, we, when you talked about some topics and, and what's missing, I mean, um, you know, we, we did a class this past Saturday and, um, you know, a lot of times, well, this particular class, we spent some time on building construction, you know, and fire dynamics. And, you know, I got to tell you the truth, you know, I've been in this business a long time, but I never really paid attention to fire dynamics. I never paid much attention to flow path and the UL and the NIST studies and everything of that nature. And, and I know, you know, science sometimes can be something that we don't want to talk about, but it, it's definitely necessary. And, you know, when we were teaching the class and John and I always in our classes, we, you know, specifically talk a lot about building construction. And, you know, years ago, a lot of firemen that I grew up with that mentored me that were officers or, you know, sat next to me at the kitchen table or, or you know, in the back seat of a rig, you know, they had other skills, you know, building, they were contractors, they were framers, they were roofers, they were this, they were that, you know, and it, it's not there today. So, you know, we, we think, and, you know, I think John will agree with me that, you know, building construction, fire dynamics, uh, how much do you get in firefighter one and two, you know, where you actually learn about the fire environment, you know, smoke is fuel, high heat release rates, you know, all the things that are coming out now. So the books are great, but, you know, it's, it's things that are missing like that, um, that, that we think, you know, and, and that's why we try to kind of emphasize some of those things when we teach. I think the other thing that makes us uh, in good instructors and allows us to kind of kind of be in each audience is the fact that, hey, we're not FDMY, we're not, you know, LA City, we're responding to fires like John and Pasek did with three-man engine companies. You know, I remember in Englewood as a firefighter, we had two-man companies. No, no, no command. You know, the captain was running around inside and out of the building. So we've always been in short-staffed situations. And, and from, from the chief perspective, and John as a company officer knows this too because we talk all the time, I think one of the areas that we're really missing is people skills. And, and I, I have to tell you, you know, the better you are at people skills, treating your people right, doing the right thing for your people, you know, following the department rules and regulations and, and unfortunately using discipline to change some, you know, some people's, you know, um, you know, method of doing their job or whatever you want, but, you know, to, to change their direction or their course of action, you know, is necessary, but people skills are where it's at, man. You know, 90% of the work that I do or a company officer does is about people skills. And, and I think that, that that's something that's a little bit missing now in the fire. And I think that's something that starts in training also. Instructors need to have that also. 
know, especially yeah. instructors at a county facility where you're you're pushing you know, your student base as well, your volunteers from the county. You know, these people are giving up their time to be there. And if you don't have the right chemistry between the instructors and the students, you start having some problems. And it's all about those people skills. Treat everybody with respect, treat them how you want to be respected. And, you know, and train them. You know, some departments might somebody to the academy because, you know, hey, you know what? If we send them to the academy, maybe he'll fail and we don't have to accept them in our department. I, as an, as an instructor, and many of the guys I worked with at the academy took that as a challenge, and we made that person into an excellent fireman and sent him back to their department. You know, it's all about people skills, how you treat people the respect that they need. That's, that's a great way to look at it, guys. Thank you. That's, that's, that's really good. And so, you know, from, from your perspectives, right, as, as instructors and also as company officers and, and you know, Rob, in your role as a chief, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you create that, um, that level well, of me, trust and respect and, and yeah, to develop those skills? I mean, what, what are some tips that you would share with folks who are listening? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, be involved, be involved. Um, company officer, chief, let's use the term leader, senior man. You know, I mean, the senior man in the firehouse is, is or in a, even a volunteer department, it doesn't matter where you're from. You know, the, these, are, these are the people that you should be looking up to, you know? So for me, for me, it's showing care and concern. Uh, I don't wanna, you know, Christmas cards, something simple, send Christmas cards to your staff. I do every year, birthday cards, you know, acknowledge that, acknowledge good, good, good um, performance, you know, say thank you and add a boy every day. I mean, these things are not hard. These things are human skills that everybody should know. Um, you know, that, that doing that on a daily basis will temper the times that you have to bring somebody into your office and, and you know, read them the riot act or say, hey, really? Well, you know, you're kidding me. This actually occurred, you know? Um, and it takes time to build that up, you know? communication, collaboration, you know, all, all that kind of stuff that we should be doing on a daily basis with our staff. You know, I, John and I teach, you know, a lot of officer-based classes and leadership stuff. And, you know, it's, it's that time that comes when you're made an officer and you're not one of the guys anymore. You're not one of the, you know, you're not one of the guys and girls anymore. You know, you're somebody who they're lead, looking up to, to be able to, to, have the people skills to manage them, but also lead them on the fire ground and have the, the, the tactical and strategic knowledge and skills that you need to keep them safe. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I just think you got to do it on a daily basis. You got to do it all the time on duty, off duty. An example, we had three people test positive last week with COVID. Call, you know, I've made several calls over the last week. You know, I mean, I don't know if other chiefs do that. I don't, I don't know. I know John as a company officer would, would have done that, you know, when he was working because we care about our people, you know, so if you just show that on a daily basis, you know, that, that's, that's where that trust and respect and, and, um, you know, cooperation comes about. So. Yeah, it's, it's like a learning skill. It's something that you pick up, either you, you got it or you don't. And we've all worked with and for people that, or it could be a little harsh, 
out front and then they could be the sentimental person behind closed doors or they could just be harsh all the way around. But, you know, again, by attending conferences and training, uh, having the opportunity to go to Baltimore, you know, Firehouse Expo and the other conferences around the country, you know, and sitting in classes with like Chief Brunacini, you know, Chief Compton, you know, and listening to the way that they talk, they teach and how they respect their people and the relationships that they build, you know, that's that's part of your officer development. You know, we're not always stretching hose lines. You know, we spend more time sometimes at the kitchen table or in the firehouse than we are being that strategic or tactical officer on the fire ground. So developing your people, your people skills helps develop your people into better firefighters in the future, better relations in the firehouse. So, so Pete, just, yeah. Look, I, I wanted just to add one more example, and I'm sorry if I cut you off there. All right, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I teach the uh, a portion of the company officer one and two class up here in Barnstable County at the academy. And, you know, at the end of every class or when I teach about it, I give them a quiz. And, and there's, there's three words that I say to them, to these up-and-coming officers, that they should never forget and always ask first. And those three words are, how's your family? You know, make it personal. So at the end of the class, when the chiefs are all there and they're ready to get their certificates, you know, we ask them the question of the, of the class or of the day and say, what are the three words that you're never gonna forget? And that's, those three words are, how's your family? You know, make it personal, show you care. That's, that's, that's wonderful advice. Definitely something everybody should be, uh, should be asking, especially with everything going on now. And, and maybe, maybe now's a good t a chance to set that precedence, right? Yeah. Um, that's what, that's almost the norm now. And, and hopefully that carries through and a, a positive thing that would come out of everything going on with COVID. So, well guys, thank you. And, and, you know, Rob, you mentioned it before, and actually both of you did, you know, it's limited staffing. So so let's jump to Firehouse Expo. Let's talk about what you guys are doing there. Um, so over the course of the week, uh, so Firehouse Expo is September 14th through the 16th in Columbus, Ohio. So we've got you guys teaching uh, four days um, with uh, two days of hands-on training and then also two classroom sessions. So um, the hands-on training class is called Tactics for Success with Limited Staffing. It's a live fire class going to be held at the Ohio State Fire Academy. So tell us about how you guys came up with this idea and, you know, what students will learn uh, from, from the program, right? When we first talked about it, it's, it, it's, it's great to have, you know, 50, 60 students in a class, but the reality is most departments aren't going to have that type of staffing. So um, there's limited opportunities to register for this class. We're maxing it out early so that everybody gets the opportunity to go through the role. So tell us a little bit about the class and what students can expect to gain from eight hours of, of hands-on training with you guys. Go ahead, Chief. Are you sure about that, Johnny? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, there's a couple of things that we don't get enough of in the fire service. Rob touched on it already. Building construction, we don't get enough of it. Fire dynamics, fire behavior. And how do you learn about fires? How do you learn about fire dynamics? How do you learn about fire behavior unless you're going to fires or seeing fires? So, I mean, uh, the Ohio State Fire Academy, for what you're telling us, is going to be a great place to train at. The We've had experience training in live fires before. Uh, you, 
we've done it at the Baltimore County Fire Academy for Expo and also in Nashville. Uh, and it's been great. We've had great relations, great input from the students, great reviews from the students that, hey, I don't get to do this. I have never been on the nozzle. I've been in the fire department for five years. I've only been here. I've only been there. And the only, and if it's in a controlled environment, it's a good thing for the student. You know, the first times, you know, they say trial by fire, that could be a harsh, a harsh problem. You know, everybody's got to be eased into it. You slowly teach everybody in the fire academy. Heat, fuel, and oxygen produces combustion. So on, you build and build and build until there's a fire. And then actually, what puts that fire out? And how do we put that fire out? And now you're going to put that fire out, right? So we're crawling before we walk. Um, basically, that's what we want to do. Uh, there may be guys, members at the, the class, firefighters that haven't been to too many fires. And we'll, we'll walk them through the scenario. There may be firefighters there that have been to many fires, and we're going to rely on them. Hey, what else can you add to the program? You know, it's a sharing thing. Training isn't just me or Rob or any of the other instructors talking at the students. It's talking with the students, sharing that stuff back and forth. So if they don't get get to see this in a control environment, and maybe they did it at their fire academy, when they get back home, if they haven't been to a fire since the fire academy, the first one shouldn't be too scary. They should have a little more confidence in their own actions. Yes. When when we first started uh, talking about this, you, me, and John, I mean, one of the things that we wanted to capitalize on was that the fact that short short staffed or limited limited staffed companies, you know, we have a diverse group of great instructors that are going to be with us at Firehouse Expo, and um, they are from uh, an eclectic group of fire departments that respond with different levels of, of staffing. Um, we, we want to focus on that um, because it's real world USA. As you know, we mentioned earlier that, you know, we don't have four, five, six man companies. Um, we have two and three man companies and that's kind of, kind of going to be the emphasis. And we're going to take people through, you know, first do task oriented assignments, you know, uh, like fire attack and, and extinguishment search, forcible entry vent, you know, laddering. But one of the other things we're going to do is, Somebody's going to be in charge of the fire from the class. You know, we're going to be next to them. We're going to be with them, but we want them to also get that that ability, that that experience. You know, in actually running a fire ground. Um, think, you know, in, in, we know in our experience that we've seen that there's less fires. We all know that. So having somebody be able to gain some of that fire ground experience in a controlled environment, you know, with John standing next to him, kind of helping him out, or you know, Walter Lewis, who's a Orlando deputy fire chief or assistant fire chief or myself or, you know, one of the great group of instructors that we have is going to be important, you know. So we're looking at you know, a really dynamic class that's going to take people through a, a number of different scenarios. A um, little bit of a short classroom beginning in the morning and, and then kind of moving out. And, then, you know, the goal is to keep those students moving throughout the entire day. John and I have both been to, to uh, live burn classes or hot training where, you know, you're sitting out in the sun for about two hours because it's not your turn. So we're hoping and our goal is to, you know, create a really great environment, uh, a learning environment for these individuals. You know, first do truck company operations, um, backstep type, you know, after, after action discussions, you know, after we're done with the scenarios. 
kind of moving through everything. Well, and again, I think the cadre is important, right? It's, it's not quite, but it's pretty close to almost a, a one to two ratio, right, for your instructors to students. So really, everyone's getting, um, you know, feedback, uh, almost individual feedback. And again, having that opportunity to go through, and, and I don't know how many hot classes offer that opportunity for somebody to, to be in that command role. And I think that's, that's pretty unique. I, I think that's, that's actually something very exciting to see with that program is it's really a different spin on your, you're still doing traditional tactics, but you're getting everybody through true hands-on training programs, um, or in that case, you know, the incident command role, still hands-on, right? It's not in the simulation lab. It's out there. You've got a burning structure. You've got firefighters who you probably don't know too much about them, but you're trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together based on the strategy and tactics that would be warranted for that situation. Based yeah. on what they tell us that morning when we're in the classroom, we're going to decide, you know, break them up into different levels probably in intermediate or advanced or basics, whatever. But with the amount of instructors that we'll have in that fixed facility, Class A burns, we should be able to burn a little more often. So as, as we said, everybody gets in there, at least everybody gets into a different role, whether you're the engine company, the truck company, whatever, the search, you know, we try to get, want to try and get everybody the opportunity to be in all different uh, tasks or assignments for the day. Again, it depends on the fires, it depends on the students, depends on a whole lot of factors, but that's our goal, is to give everybody the opportunity to see some fire, feel some fire, and know what the you know the environment is like and how to control it. You, you know, we we've taught live burn classes before, and you know, at the end of the day, if the students don't want to get up off the ground and go to back to the hotel, then we know we've done a good job and then we didn't hurt anybody. So it's kind of where yeah. we're at. Okay. Well, great. I'm I'm looking forward to that. And and um, you know, so at this point, actually, registration for the entire conference, including hot is up. So Make sure you, you, you get your spot early in that class, uh, you know, on Tuesday or Wednesday for HOT. So then we, we're, we're going to move to the classroom at the convention center. And um, the two classes we're doing there are, are you command capable? And then the contemporary fire problem, lightweight multi-unit residential complexes. So can you guys tell us about those uh, lecture programs? And again, you know, what it is that, that the attendees will have the opportunity uh, to learn from you in those two classroom sessions. John, you want to take the lightweight woodwork? That's where I was going to go. All right, then. All right. Well, you know, we, we look at it. Rob and I, one of the first mutual aid fires we were at was uh, in a town along the Hudson River. Uh, it, was a, it was a condominium complex. Fire got ahead of the department early in the morning, very early on a snowy February morning. A lot of rescues were made over ground ladders. Uh, not a lot of people were there to put water on the fire. So the building started taking off. Uh, a lot of the, there were no fatalities, but there was a lot of fire damage in that building. We learned a lot about condo fires and townhouses then. And then we started going a few more here and there. And Rob and I started, wrote, we wrote an article on one, on them a while ago. But what we noticed over the last couple of years, probably the last five, six years, is these large multifamily or large multiple dwellings, townhouse developments that have either burned during construction or right after occupancy, and most of the complex catches fire. Fire gets in the void spaces and the trust spaces, and it just takes off. And uh, we've had numerous uh, numerous fires like that in New Jersey. Two in the township of Edgewater, one while a building was being built, 
back in 99 and then another one back in when was the last one rob uh 15 2018 18 was the last one well like i said one was when it was being constructed which was a huge lumberyard fire uh and then the second one which was when it was occupied you know it burned for quite a few uh hours it was a large-scale response from the county fire service rescues were still being made 45 minutes to that fire or fire escapes or, or balconies in that building uh, due to the configuration of the building the different grade levels of the building uh, a lot of uh, trouble accessing you know the whole 360 of the structure because as you know these townhouse developments they're not necessarily just square buildings you know and especially when you throw some terrain in there you have different access issues we're going to talk a lot about that access building construction again a lot about building construction, knowing your buildings while they're being built, so that when they, if they do catch on fire, you have a little better plan what you should be doing, where you, your points are to make a defensive stand. And uh, we're going to review the most recent fires that we've had in the area. Boundbrook, New Jersey was one. Edgewater, New Jersey. Uh, down in Rahway, I believe there was another one. Uh, there's been quite a few in New Jersey and across the country, if you pay attention to what's going on in, in the fire service. So we've, we've been teaching this class, this townhouse lightweight class for, uh, it's got to be 12 years now, in various conferences and local and regional. So the, this class that we're going to be presenting, actually, we developed it for the Fire Chiefs Association of Massachusetts, and we presented it at their conference uh, a couple of years ago. And we, we developed it because they had a number of fires in these complexes, these downtown urban settings, you know, what's happening across the country is, uh, you know, if you have transportation hubs in your cities, these these five and six and seven story buildings, sprinkle it and non-sprinkle it, you know, are, are being are being built. And, uh, you know, all, all you have to do is, you know, go on YouTube and, and Google townhouse fire or multi-residential multi complex fire, and you'll see these across the country. And, you know, as John mentioned, there's kind of like two different scenarios here when they're under construction and, and uh, you know, when, when, they're, when they're built, um, you know, the fire suppression and, um, you know, systems are sometimes not in these buildings because the code didn't require it at that time, you know? Um, so again, it, this is just kind of a, a dynamic class that talks about a lot of the the issues, you know, egress and access, like John talked about, you know, uh, building construction is a, obviously a major part of that. And so we're we're excited about having the opportunity to present this, you know, and um, we're hoping that we'll get a really great mix of, you know, both urban and suburban um, fire departments who want to attend that class and and sit there and, you know, um, maybe we'll learn something from them too. So we're really looking forward to. Uh, with this presentation. And, and yeah, I mean, we've certainly covered them online. I think uh, it was just less than a week ago that uh, there was one in Clark County, right? You know, right, right in Vegas yeah, there. Yes, they, it they was. A yep. tremendous yes. complex. Um, and a friend of mine who's chief here in Texas, uh, he was a chief of a small department. They they had a, a three, um, an engine with three sta a staffing of three, and they protected 25,000 folks or so they were putting in a senior complex on one side of town and a um, an apartment complex on the other side of town, and it was going to add something like 2,500 residents. And 
you know, they, they were at the point where their, their closest ladder truck on mutual aid or auto aid is probably a good 10 to 12 minutes away. And uh, they went through and they, they, they took a bunch of steps to ensure that, you know, they would get out of the rigs. So they ended up getting a quint out of the deal. Um, the, the, the builders helped them to uh, fund the apparatus. And then, uh, you know, the city realized that they needed to upstaff just based on that influx, right? I mean, if, if, if you have a fire in there and that loss, you know, a loss of X amount of housing units and, and X amount of residents, um, it would just be devastating to the community. And uh, so fortunately, they were smart enough to realize on the front end, hey, we've got to get something out of this for the protection, not only of these facilities and the rest of the facilities. And they've actually built four or five more of those, you know, 100, 150 unit buildings. And that's huge. That, that's a tremendous amount of people. Um, and a tremendous amount of space that's being uh, built up. So, you know, that's that's something to keep in mind when these are going up. There's an opportunity for departments to, uh, you know, potentially get something out of it from the builder, um, you know. And and they're actually building right down a block from me. Um, I went away in August uh, or in July, uh, came back in August, and uh, there was the framework for a five-story apartment building at the end of my block. And it's it's tight. I mean, it's going to be if, if there's ever a fire in there, it's going to be extremely tight for them to do anything, as far as getting rigs into the one side. Um, but but what about the walkarounds? I mean, what have you guys experienced as far as the opportunities to do some sort of pre-planning trip? Um, whether you're contacting the contractors ahead of time or you're literally just stopping by with the rig and and dismounting and going to talk to folks, what do you what do you see the benefits of there? Pre-planning is the key to everything. You know, if you don't know where you're going to fires before the address comes in, you know, that address comes in, and I say it all the time in our classes, as a fire in your town, if I gave you an intersection, you should be able to tell me what's on those four corners. You may not be able to tell me that there's a red house and a green house and a white house, but you should be able to tell me that's a residential neighborhood, they're all houses. Or there's a gas station, there's a CVS, there's a burnout building that we had last week, and an apartment building. You should know your community and anything that goes on in your community. You know, like that chief just said in that community that was getting a senior building and another building. They were aware of what was coming down. Have a good relationship with your building department, your zoning board, right, that's saying, hey, listen, they're thinking about building this. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Trying to get some input into it is great but walking that site often. Uh, where Rob and I were firefighters in Bergen County, New Jersey, we also had the opportunity and, and luckily enough, uh, they still have blue laws here. So nobody could work on Sunday. So you could always pull your apparatus off to a job site on a Sunday and walk through the job site and not have to worry about the contractors. And you got a good idea of what was going on around you. Otherwise, you know, being an in-service company drill, just building relationships and stopping the job site once in a while they know you're not there for any harm. You're there to learn. You know, the last thing that usually gets put in at these complexes is a roadway. And the hardest thing to think about is access, especially during construction if it catches fire. So try to put your apparatus in there creates a problem. You got to start pre-planning the construction phase of the building and then start pre-planning the, the, occup the occupancy or the occupied part of the structure. So yeah, you know, John makes a good point there. And, and Pete, that's a great question because this program starts out with that. Um, in my experience, uh, I have found that your involvement from a fire department perspective 
in the in the foundation of the beginning of any kind of building plan, in particular these large complexes, is is so critical. Uh, we're, here in Massachusetts, we have a portion of our fire code called Chapter 18, and that specifically details, you know, access and egress for fire department, hydrant placement, um, roadway width, parking lot lane widths. So, so we're we're very lucky. That's something that I fall back on all the time here, whenever I'm reviewing a plan. But John, John hit a key thing there. You know, a lot of departments don't have a relationship with their building departments potentially. You know, smaller departments might not even be sent the building plans. You know, imagine a volunteer department, and you know the chiefs not around all the time the he's working his primary job the building department reviews plans it goes out uh, you know and and you never know so having that being involved in that early stage is really really critical and that's one of the things that we we kind of cover at the beginning of the class is that pre-planning that's so important great guys thank you um so, so that's one of the two conferences. The other conference session that you guys are doing is, are you command capable? So, so let's talk about that. And, and again, what folks uh, who have the opportunity to attend that program, what they're going to take away from it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, are you command capable? You know, it's, it's pretty simple. Can you command a fire scene or an emergency incident scene? And, you know, we, we developed this class for another conference. Um, based on the fact that, like we mentioned earlier, we think that the decision-making process with, with firefighters and fire officers have less experience at fires and the decision-making process, which we kind of discussed two different types. I mean, you've all heard of RPDM, recognition prime decision-making. You know, that's the type of decision-making that you have a lot of experience in fighting fires you know, or being in command of fires or as a company officer, and you, you retain that knowledge that you've built up in your head. And decision-making, tactical or strategic, comes pretty simple because you can go back and rely on that. You know, and then, then there's that um, command process for somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience. You know, the coal was wealth or Wallace was hot, who has to go through those 13 points to develop that incident action plan, you know, um, you know, honestly, I could pull up to a two and a half story wood frame building that's on fire, and I can make a decision in in less than thirty seconds based on the extent and location of the fire because I could probably look at that building and say I've been here before, I know the fire was in the same location, the same type of building, and this is how we operated it, and everything went very smoothly. So this class has a lot to do with those type, those two types of decision making. Uh, we talk a lot about size up and the need to, to do a 360 size up um, and how to use that information that you gather in the tactical and decision making, you know, strategic decision making process. Um, you know, many times the company officer will be the first one to arrive on the scene. I'm, I know John you know, as a lieutenant riding the engine or the ladder truck, if he was assigned there, um, pull up sometimes, you know, as the first arriving officer. 
so you know these 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 items that we're talking about you know this this knowledge is needed for both company officers and chief officers and i think with the less experience you know um there's not a lot of that decision making uh process that people are using right about now um and part part of the class will also you know we have some videos and some scenarios that we'll cover with the students and that will allow them to to you know take what they learned in the class and make some of those decisions um you know as we discuss that with the entire um you know all the attendees you know like rob said where do they get the experience we said it before with the live fire where do you get the experience as a young officer if you're not going to a lot of fires when you're pulling up to one of your first fires you're gonna you know if, especially if you're it you know it's john wayne time until the incident commander gets there or sometimes you are the incident commander you know a lot of chiefs a lot of firefighters i know of and i listen to my scanner every day while i'm out on the road uh you know you'll hear engine one to command engine one to command and all of a sudden you can almost hear it in his voice that you know what command there's no chief on around engine one's going to be command when he gets there so this is what we talk about is all of a sudden you are the incident commander or, and are you ready for that you know we're going to just throw the, the the information things to think about you know size up thorough th size up getting it 360 addressing our incident priorities recognizing the hazard or the risks on the fire ground you know what's the risk versus gain what's the extent of involvement you know things we're going to discuss and then like rob said we have some there are some good still shots and some good video you know that we found and we were always looking at video because you know youtube but the internet you can find new stuff every day and you point you just let the student pick out the hazard let the student make the decision is this basis a go or no go situation where do i want to put my people offensive or defensive uh, you know is this a tra transitional attack what are we doing right so then we can discuss it the class you know the students other students in the class hopefully we get some good dialogue back and forth and everybody picks up a good lesson that way something to go home something to think of think about the next time you pull up to a fire so so definitely two classes two two most attend classes that um really for for anybody right at that point you're if you're climbing that career ladder and you want to ride the front seat or, or you know take it any further uh, something to attend um so as we wrap up today, is there anything else that you guys would like to share, you know, a, a, a last word from each of you uh, for our listeners, just about their fire service careers in general? And when I say career, obviously, we're talking about the volunteer fire service, the combination fire service. It's a career. The, it's the part of your life. Fire service. Exactly. Yep. I, I don't think there's many other um, opportunities out there where you can volunteer and it really uh, can consume you in, in such a wonderful way um, that, that the volunteer fire service does. So, as we wrap up, do you guys want to share a last word for uh, for our listeners? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, John, I'll go first. Uh, I mean, if, uh, you know, if I did not join my volunteer department at 17 years old, you know, running across the street, um, I wouldn't be in the position that I am now. And I, we know, both John and I know that it's very difficult to get hired as a career firefighter, in particular in New Jersey, where we're from. And you know, here where I am now in Massachusetts, you need to be a paramedic or you're not getting hired anywhere. And um, so, you know, stay the course, get as much experience as you can. You know, 
take every opportunity for training that you can. And, you know, one of the things we tell new hires is that, you know, today's your first day here. That doesn't mean you're going to stop training. And, um, you know, just, you know, in my opinion, I'm, I'm getting to the, uh, to the end uh, here, you know, in the next few years, I mean, I'm always going to be out there with my training partner, John, and teaching firefighters, you know, new things and, 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 you know, relaying some old things that, that don't go away. But uh, I can say that it doesn't matter whether you're a volunteer career or combination or whatever, but there's no better job in the world. And you make, you're going to make it what you want to make it. And uh, just, you know, stay in the game, be passionate and, Make sure that you you know you you um, be safe and gotta love your job. Yeah, Rob, Rob hit a lot of things right on the head there that I would have said. Uh, you know, as we both said, fire service has been part of our life. My younger brother, as Rob mentioned, is a chief down in Orlando, Florida. My older brother uh, went to Florida with intentions of being a firefighter back in the late seventies. Uh, my father was a volunteer firefighter, his brother, my grandfather, you know, we had a long history of firefighters in my family. I, I had no choice, had to join the fire department. And I've loved every minute of it since. But, you know, like I said to Pete, it's a career, whether it's volunteer or you get paid for it. You put what it, you get out of it what you put into it. The more involved you are, the more training you have, the better off you are. You know, I didn't say it and I don't know who said it, but you know, you can't train enough for something that can kill you. You know, be aware of what's going on around you. Situational awareness matters. Learn what's going on around you. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Every firefighter will tell you at one point in their career, they had an aha moment where they realized, hey, you know what? What they said in the academy is exactly right. Things are changing in here and they're changing quick and I better react. And how do you react? You go back to that RPDM that Rob talked about. Rapid prime decision maker. Where have I seen this before? What am I supposed to do? You know, make the right decision. The only way you make the right decision is by training. So stay in the books, stay in the game, right? And come to our classrooms. We'll see you in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Thanks, Pete. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, great to have you on. I really appreciate you spending the uh, time with us here, and looking forward to seeing a couple a uh, couple months here in Columbus. And um, just. Gentlemen, thank you so much for everything over the years. I can't say thank you for every thank you enough for everything that you shared with me and taught me. Um, I, I really just I appreciate everything. And again, glad that we can have this podcast as an opportunity for you to share with other folks that you may not be reaching through uh, the different events um, or or the other avenues that you're getting out and teaching. So thank you. And again, just a big thanks to MSA and Globe for their continued sponsorship of the podcast. Um, Without, without their uh, sponsorship, uh, a lot of things that happen at Firehouse uh, might not possibly happen. So we appreciate them helping us out with all that. So guys, thank you and uh, stay safe. You too, Pete. Harvey's watching this and uh, he's smiling seeing what you've done with the magazine. You're doing a good job. Harvey brought a lot of good thank people you. together. Thank you guys. Thanks, Pete. This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. Developed as athletic gear for firefighters, athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your Globe turnout gear. 
Get the full story at msa.com slash globe.